Welcome to Classic Films and Dark Humor. And tonight, George Carlin, or at midnight, <laughs> George Carlin and American Dream, George Carlin's American Dream, will be premiering on HBO. Here is a taste of the trailer. Get ready, because you motherfuckers are going to love this. Carlin. Hey, baby, what's that here? Assholes, scumbags, jerk-offs, and dipshits. And they all vote. He was funny, he was smart, he was opinionated. I wanted to be just like him. He was just so cool. Here's the list of words you can't say all the time. Chip piss fuck cunt cocksucker motherfucker and tits. And the crowd goes crazy. Chip piss fuck cunt cocksucker motherfucker and tits. They arrested me for profanity. The Supreme Court restricts the broadcast of dirty words. I'm gonna jump to it right now. He's the Beatles of comedy. I began this dream of standing in front of people and having their attention. My mother was his biggest champion. She just had a way of lifting people up and believing in them. They were comrades in arms. But then what happened was superstardom. My mom was alone all the time. She's feeling left behind. And now the drugs are there. And that really did undermine everything in our family. I did as much cocaine as there was in the immediate three-county area at that time. <laughs> he had collapsed in on himself. My career began to wane. I had to find my voice. In 1988, we were going to go to the show to laugh at him because he was this older comic. And Carlin came out with like a howitzer. Now they're thinking about banning toy guns and they're going to keep the fucking real one. He didn't want to be that George Carlin anymore. He wanted to be a different George Carlin. What I really was, was a rebel. Can't educate our young people, can't get health care to our old people, but we can bomb the shit out of your country, all right? Stand-up's the hardest thing. He did the hardest thing for the longest time. He was challenging society to be better. Life is sacred? Who said so? God? Hey, if you read history, you realize that God is one of the leading causes of death. George is still relevant. He changed comedy three or four times, and he's still talking to us. Things that he was getting at were so profound to the culture. What would you do if you were the planet trying to defend against this pesky species? Oh, viruses. They tried to divide people so that they can run off with all the fucking money. Bullshit is the glue that binds us as a nation. It's the American dream. Because you have to be asleep to believe it. George Carlin's American Dream. Because as he said, it's a dream because you have to be asleep to realize it. <laughs> George Carlin would have been 80... Jeez. <laughs> 85 years old this year or 86 86 or 85 <laughs> 85 years old I believe um, yeah or let's look okay yeah he would have been 85 George Dennis Patrick Carlin comedian icon provocateur Judd Apatow directs this along with uh, Michael Bonfiglio. Yep. And it's uh, 
The study of the trailblazing Carlin, who died in 2008 at the age of 71, unfolds in much of the same vein as the Zen Diaries and includes interviews with Carlin's daughter, Kelly, and a gaggle of fellow comics, including Paul Reiser, uh, Dub Camille Bell, Stephen Wright, Judy Gold, Robert Klein, and Patton Oswald, Chris Rock, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, Stephen Colbert, just to name a few. Apatow and Buck Feely also shine light on Carlin's personal life, including his childhood growing up on the West 20, 121st Street and his nearly 40-year marriage to wife Brenda, who died in 1997 from liver cancer. What's interesting is, is that it changed, he changed performing styles five times. He really was like the Madonna of comedy, Apatow said. He was in comedy team Burns and Carlin with Jack Burns. Then he was a very safe and clean comedian. Then he became a hippie comedian and then a wordsmith and then a very dark philosopher, prophet comedian at the end of his career. He was always trying to stay current and relevant and able to pull that off. And his work got stronger and stronger. A lot of the documentaries about meeting his wife Brenda in 1960 when he was working in a club and they got married very quickly and then had a baby, Kelly, very quickly. He said he was on the road and he was broke and Brenda was home watching Kelly and through their situation and their times, she wasn't able to pursue her dreams and she became an alcoholic and George became a cocaine addict. Their house was very toxic and a lot of the stories about how they overcame that and found each other again later in life. But there's a harrowing love story at the center of it. Carlin's comedy took a darker turn toward the end of his life, Apatow said. He had several heart attacks, he was trying to get sober, and I think he was disappointed that our country was not moving in a more positive direction, he said. He really believed our demo democratic values were being overtaken by business interests, and his act became more and more of a warning, then finally it became the point of view of someone who said they had given up and were just going to watch the destruction and laugh. It was a comic stance meant to wake you up, he said. The essence of it was, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. I think that was his ultimate point. George Carlin's An American Dream premieres Friday, May 20th at 8 p.m. on HBO. So it's not going to come out till tomorrow. Shoot. I was ready for it to come out tonight at midnight, but you know, I'll still be waiting. And this is classic films in dark humor. And this ties into them because George Carlin had a Danny Kay dream. He wanted to be like Danny Kay. And that was his dream is to go into films. He was not going to do stand up. He wanted to do, you know, uh, film comedy as a comedic actor. And that was his Danny Kay dream. So, let's see if we can find him uh, talking about that. <laughs> no. Oh, this is Carlin talking to Keith Oberman. <laughs> I love Keith. A TV comedian is running for president. A Republican senator is doing stand-up. And the far right is screaming about the outing of a prominent educator, a fictional prominent educator. Our number one story in the countdown. For 40 years, in times of uh, such times of need, I have frequently relied on one man to make some sense of this crap. In a moment, that man, George Carlin, will join us. First, this story. Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling said last Friday, her books included as a subtext a plea for an end to hatred, to bigotry, and that the most stalwart of the adults in the series, the headmaster Dumbledore, was gay. 
that was never explicit in the book, nor did many readers even wonder or care, not softening the backlash. A posting on blogs for Brownback described it as, quote, revolting. Dumbledore is a gay homosexual who doesn't deserve to live on God's green earth. All right, reminder, he's fictional. Another right-wing blogger said Ms. Rowling was, quote, knocking the Christians, but the choicest commentary from the conservative blog Newsbusters with an entry by regular columnist Mark Finkelstein, the sometime Republican chairman of Tompkins County, New York. That's where Cornell is, so trust me, he does have a lot of spare time, as you'd guess. What's that, he writes? It now turns out that Dumbledore is gay, and while Jerry Falwell was thoroughly lambasted by the MSM, that's mainstream media, for his suggestion, the Times tells us that Rowling's revelation inspired applause somewhere Jerry Falwell is smiling. You may vaguely recall that among Reverend Falwell's more serious disturbances of the peace, he insisted that the Teletubby, Tinky Winky, was gay. Joining me now is promised a man who is no stranger to the absurdity in our society and whose biting commentary is not just the stuff of comedy but of revelation. His recently released career retrospective, George Carlin, All My Stuff, includes 12 HBO specials spanning three decades. George Carlin, pleasure to have you here. Thank you. This is the best news show ever. I told that to one of your producers, and I want you to know that. I've seen them all, and it's just, the first, especially the first 35 minutes. Thank you, sir. It's just, just unparalleled. I got bad news between you and I. We got six minutes to completely screw that <laughs> into the ground. <laughs> okay, right? that's good. Dumbledore, yes. Jerry Falwell, yeah. Tinky Winky. I'm missing something on why, why gay, non-existent characters are so important. Don't these... These professional Christians have something to do during the day. I mean, isn't there? Didn't Jesus leave instructions uh, how to plan your day? Something constructive? Didn't he? Didn't he kind of help people? Didn't he? You know, look out for the afflicted. You know, to, to use half of A.J. Liebling's quote to, to right. af comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable to complete it. You know, they. It just seems that they get off on these tangents, you yeah. know. And, and of course, the homosexuality and the, the the reading of science fiction, such as the Bible, you know, and giving it giving it the, the standard of truth. I mean, they just, it, it's, it would be cartoonish if it weren't, uh, you know, dangerous to some people. All right, and leading people to, to establish theocracies and go to yeah. war and all the rest yes, of that. Yes, yeah, and, and instilling guilt and, and uh, shame and fear in people. The, uh, there's a Republican poll out mm -hmm. uh, that says that Stephen Colbert is fifth among Democrats. They surveyed a thousand people who, I don't know, like Republicans or whatever the polling was. But is, is there a period of time, have we gotten there? Because Mencken predicted that eventually we'd, uh, we'd actually elect the dumbest guy in America. Are we going to someday elect a satirical president, a guy who really has no intention of having the you know, he's doing it as a, as a sales tool for something else? Well, we're working on it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we did, we did elect something of that nature in 2000 and 2004, if you want to look at it from a long distance. You know, if you're up close, it may not be that. Um, I was around in 1960 when uh, Irwin, Professor Erwin Corey ran for president. And I was around in 1968 when Pat Paulson ran sure. for president. And I think Larry Flint had a go at it there. Uh, for a while. It's, um, you know, it, it's, why is he, why is he the fifth among d Democrats? Doesn't he play a Republican on television? Yeah, apparently he, he comes in 10th or 11th down there with Tom oh. Tancredo. He's only got like 1% <laughs> of the Republican. Because he is, as, as uh, Bob and Ray once posited, was the best way to try to get elected, run for both the Democratic and Republican nominations. You have two chances. He's, he's just a wonderful, uh, a wonderful comic relief, and I, and I hope he goes far, and I hope he can get a couple of primary states under his belt. <laughs> we really upset this thing. The reverse of Colbert, I want to play you this clip. It's Senator Arlen Specter and a story that he says his colleague's father used to tell. Play this thing. Sam's mother and I have sex almost every night. We almost have sex on Monday. We almost have sex on Tuesday. <laughs> 
It was as odd as it is to see a, a Republican senator, even a fairly liberal one from Pennsylvania, standing there at the improv. Yes, yes. Is there something positive about this? Because, you know, if Nelson Rockefeller had made that joke 40 years ago, not only would he have been out of the presidential race, he would have had to resign as governor of New York. Just anything that touchy. Is it better that we're, that we're letting these guys get up and have fun? Um, I, I liked Rockefeller because he gave the finger to the Republican convention, the, the uh, conservatives in 1964, and then he died in the saddle, which I yes. thought was a nice thing for the Republic. Of course, he had his screw you money off and put away a long time before. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a great joke that, that Spectre told. I, I was waiting for Phil Spectre. I didn't, I wasn't oh, sure. I what, uh, either Spectre might have been okay for me. Yeah, well, I feel, Phil is no longer involved in the government. Well, not directly, anyway. <laughs> no. Now he's being pursued by the government. Right. Uh, I mentioned Bob and Ray. Those were my, my heroes yeah. when I was a kid. Um, at the height of Watergate, I got to interview them, and I said, you know, why don't you do, because they'd, they'd gone after McCarthy mm -hmm. yeah. uh, in a limited way, but a very effective way. So why didn't you do more political humor? And Ray Goulding said, how could we make that funnier? Yeah. Do you feel that way about President Bush? Well, I, I use the sledgehammer. I don't bother with the rapier on Bush. And I don't really do a lot of political humor, yeah. but I have some glancing blows in, in the current show that, that I'm developing. And one of them is the reference to him as Governor Bush and the fact that I will always think of him, no matter where they hang his portrait, no matter where they put his statue, that's what he is. He's Governor Bush because that's the last elected office he held legally in this country. So uh, I, I, like getting, I like moving in and really hurting them. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't like this, let's be cute and let's be clever. I like smashing them. That's the only way to take care of them. The other day, and speaking of smashing things, I quoted in this newscast, first item in the newscast, the seven story, uh, seven words you can't say on television, mm -hmm. the story of them, and the fact that everybody forgets that right. the first part of that story is the guy who had his phone tapped and would answer the phone, bleep Hoover. Yeah. We're back there. How did we get back to the same position that we were when you made that joke originally in the 70s? You're talking about wiretapping and yeah. spying on people. Yeah. Well, I don't know that we ever really left. I see, I don't really, I don't think that Frank Church Committee really did any good. I, I don't think all of these reforms, I think power does what it wants. Power does what it wants. And now they're just more naked about it. Now they just put it right out front and say, this is this is what we're doing to you folks. It's, um, you know, th this country's finished. It's been sliding downhill a long time. And everybody's got a cell phone that makes pancakes, so they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to make any trouble. The people have been bought off by gizmos and toys in this country, and no one, no one questions things anymore. Seriously, that's what I love about your show. I mean, you bring the you bring the thing right to them, and that that's what that's the only way to do it. If you, do, as you know, if you don't, if you got the platform and you're not doing something with it, you might yeah. as well have a trained monkey out here. You know. <laughs> yeah. The one and only George Carlin. The Thank retrospective you. is called George Carlin: All My Stuff on DVD. Go buy it. A pleasure having you here. Thank you, sir. I All really right. appreciate it. That's Countdown for this, the 1,637th day since the declaration of mission accomplished in Iraq. Our coverage continues next with MSNBC Live. So that's Keith Oberman interviewing George Carlin and nine, that was in October of 2007. And nine months later, George Carlin would die of uh, heart-related uh, causes in 2008. He would posthumously receive the Mark Twain Prize in comedy. And so tomorrow, George Carlin's American Dream comes out on HBO, directed by Judd Apatow and Mike Lowe, Michael Benfilio. So as always, enjoy classic humor. Fuck you. <laughs>